0: Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Merrick, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. Broadcasting from the heart of the I Work For Him nation in cities around the United States, you've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio as we broadcast today, Martha, from...
1: Savage Minnesota,
0: Savage Minnesota, very exciting. Wait, What? Yes, we're in Savage. You had yeah, it right. That's right. It's twenty-eight degrees outside. It's beautiful, and we've we got an action-packed day where we're going to be interviewing a lot of people that you're going to hear over the next month or so. But we're so excited to be able to share some of our hometown favorites right here in Minneapolis-St. Paul, the twin cities, and where the twins are playing. Yet they got snowed out this weekend. <laughs> Is that the first the first time they've gotten all three games snowed out for a weekend? Right. I don't know. It's Unbelievable. All right. Just a shout out to all of our listeners in the First Coast area, Jacksonville and St. Augustine and Folkestone, Georgia, as well as in Tampa Bay from Ocala to North Fort Myers and over to Disney. Thanks for tuning in today. And for those of you listening across the globe on our podcast and on iHeartRadio, thanks for tuning in today. Imagine you have the world by the tail. You have everything you want and everything you need. You live in a great city with great people. You have a great job and amazing friends. Yet it all leaves you thinking. Is there more? Or maybe not. Maybe you think you are everything, you own everything, you need no one. Either way, God is a way of grabbing hold of you and getting your attention. For our guest today, life Got to be bigger than him. Ward Brem is an entrepreneur for life and from Minnesota. He has a passion for life and a passion for the poor in Africa. He loves Jesus and his wife Chris and has a story to tell and I wanted you to hear it. Last fall you heard part one based on the discussion of Ward with Ward about his latest book, Bigger Than Me. Today we bring Ward back as we are in his hometown to hear the rest of the story. Ward Brem, welcome back to I Work for Him. Thanks, Jim, for having me. Excited to have you here. Excited to have you share your story with people. And I really just, just remind people, as I always do with everybody when I bring them on the show, just remind people, how did you come to be a follower of Jesus? Well,
2: I, uh, I met Jesus uh, 25,000 miles away in a rural village in Africa. I was invited by my pastor out of the blue to go to Africa <laughs> with him. I had no intention of going to Africa. I was a very occasional church grower. I was 40 years old. And... Uh, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I ended up going with them, and it changed it changed my life. And I actually met Jesus firsthand as I held the hand of a 21 year old woman in Masaka, Uganda, as she died of AIDS, and then looked up directly into the eyes of five brand new, totally bewildered orphans, mm. and my heart just cracked. and uh, And I saw I saw Jesus in that situation. I saw Jesus in the in the faces and the hearts of the people that were tending to these poor people and in the process received the greatest gift anyone can give. And that was a calling on my life, which. uh,
0: So it's made this last 25 years pretty incredible, hasn't it? Uh, sure has.
2: I, I had no intention of returning to Africa and I'll leave next month for Eastern
0: Congo will be my fifty seventh
2: trip. So. Oh
0: wow. <laughs> and you've counted them all. That's impressive. I have. I have. That's awesome. All right. So when you wrote this book, you wrote it to really document your legacy. Why was that?
2: Well, I uh I have a number of uh uh I've got a number of, of uh physical ailments. Uh, I've got a, I've got a, a compromised life expectancy, and I started. At least thinking, that's what the doctors told you. And that's what the doctors told me. Um, although I intend to outlive, <laughs> outlive both of you,
1: <laughs> all and right. all of
2: our listeners. Uh, but nevertheless, I started to think, just in my own mind, what if. What if I knew that I only had 10 years to live? What, what if God doesn't tell us, but what if he did? What if I knew for a fact I had 10 years to live? This was six years ago. Uh, would it change my life? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, yes, it would. Then the bigger question was, how? And I really had to think about that. Uh, and I actually put together a document called my 10-year plan, uh My mentor is a, a very close friend, a very wise person named Doug Coe in Washington, D.C., plus to have him as a mentor. Mm-hmm. And I told him about my 10-year plan. He said, you need to get out here right away tomorrow. Get on a plane. Get out here. I did. He asked me for the plan. I handed it to him, and he promptly just tore it up without even looking at it and said it's the most ridiculous thing he'd ever heard of. He said, what you need is a three-day plan. Uh what would you do if you had three days to live and then do that every day for the rest of your life? Wow. Uh, a lot of wisdom in that. So I started thinking if I had three days to live, what would I do? Uh, and uh, the thing that, was the, 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 that overwhelmed my thinking was I'd get my adult children around me uh, for, for those three days and I would impart to them every bit of wisdom, every bit of knowledge, mm-hmm. every bit of belief that I have to them. They'd have to be there because I'd only have sure. three days to go. I'd have a captive audience. Yeah. Uh, and so that really inspired me to write a book that was originally intended just for them. Just and for your kids, your three kids. We don't have any grand, grandchildren yet. And so at the time, no I, hints here. I'm thinking that, that, that maybe I might, I, I might possibly have grandchildren that never got to meet me. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't know anything about me or hopefully any wisdom I had. So it was really written it was really directed that was the inspiration behind the uh the book and then some some friends uh including uh, broad street convinced convinced me that this was for a wider audience so that's how it started
0: that's fantastic and when you really look at um how god's worked in your life these 25 years your kids didn't grow up with a dad who was a jesus follower you met jesus in in the bush of africa so how has your faith impacted what's going on at home these last 25 years
2: well, I'd say those first 40 years, I was what I refer to as a cultural Christian. Okay. So if anyone at the time would have said, you really, you really aren't a follower of Jesus, or, or if someone at the time would say, well, tell me about your walk with Jesus, I, 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 I might have said something like, I'm not one of those crazy people. <laughs> but I go to church. Mm-hmm. Not very often, but so, I go to
0: church. Well most Minnesotans would give that same answer. Absolutely. Because they're just Minnesota nice.
2: Absolutely. And, and so I was going through the motions, but, but this idea of a personal relationship. Relationship or a or a or a real understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I didn't have a clue, uh, and and it was only until you know people have asked me they say do, do you have, do you really have to go halfway around the world to develop a faith I'm saying for me yep I did I had to be just torn absolutely ripped out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. uh, I was the king of my world I was the master of my own universe mm-hmm. uh, and it was. It was for me, what I call the great humbling It, it, it was the first time in my life that i 've been deeply deeply humbled by by what I saw uh, change my life uh, I, My children for sure have seen that in me you know i 'm not real big on finger wagging it uh, 's not very effective, but leading by leading by example, and it 's interesting because you know, kids come and go. They all go. So they've been to Sunday school. They've been through the whole organized religion thing. Uh, they all went off to college, lost their faith completely. Now they're back raising families of their own, and they're and they're thank the Lord coming back into the fold. So mm.
0: kids, kids are one of those challenges, aren't they? They're just amazing. But you know, I, I have found that, and Martha and I have seen it that very often for entrepreneurial types. They need to go someplace where people, to, to experience true, utter poverty, to realize the gift that they've been given, to realize all, of all that they've been entrusted with. I mean, you go into a third world developing nation, and it just changes your perspective forever.
2: Well, it's interesting because the 20, if, you, if you make $25,000 a year, uh, which is just above the poverty line in America... That puts you in the top ten percent of income earners in the world. So it's everything's just off kilter. It's off cue, and you don't know what you don't know. And I often, I often say there, there, there is no comparison to poverty in in Africa uh, as there is in America. A lot of people take offense at that, but it's a, it 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 is true. Mm-hmm. What I found perplexing was these people who are leading these incredibly difficult lives. These people who are living lives that most of us, if, if 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 they were to say, "I'm going to impose this lifestyle and this situation on you," might consider suicide. It's mm-hmm. so desperate, and they have peace and a presence that I I couldn't possibly imagine. That I would compare, I would compare the 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 sense of peace and personal contentment uh, on a scale way higher than any business. Any business person walking out of a Minneapolis club in downtown Minneapolis, not even close. And it really bothered me. I couldn't figure out why is it that these people with so little have so much.
0: So talk about the impact of that incident. I mean, you you grew up, you you write, I'm going to step back for a second. In the beginning of your book, you write real fondly of your dad. And the impact that your dad had on your life—talk about that, because some guys don't don't get to talk about their dads that way. How was your dad's influence significant in your life?
2: Well, I was uh, I was really privileged. I, I I was really brought up in like Ozzy and Harriet. I mean, mm-hmm. my it was it was like a perfect it was like a perfect family. I just assumed everyone had a family like that. Uh, and both my mom and dad truly loved me unconditionally, even though I was a borderline juvenile delinquent I mean, <laughs> and and I can remember so clearly my both my mom and dad saying to me you know why uh, why is such a good boy like you doing such naughty things mm. it, it it's 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 in my mind no matter what I did uh, I, I I was loved and I always assumed that that was true for everyone and mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. uh, and my dad uh even long after he 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 died at 67 years old uh, i'm 66 so i'm trying to break the record sure uh, but he died way too young but li- had a phenomenal life uh, a a wonderful life and even to this day everyone who i talk to says i knew your dad what a what a great guy mm. he was just a he was a he was a wonderful a wonderful man and a wonderful uh mentor to me and I, I think about him every day.
0: Mm-hmm. After that first trip to Africa, you came back here and you learned the value of silence. You learned the value of a silent retreat, which I was jealous about because you talked about this silent retreat. I'm like, how come I didn't know there was a cool silent retreat in ISante, Minnesota? I mean how cool was that? Who first introduced you to that idea that in order to really spend time with God, sometimes you just need to go be silent and go unelectronic?
2: Well, I was originally planning to go to a retreat uh, at de which is a, a lead retreat where uh, you 're you're quiet the participants are quiet and and then I heard about this place where actually there is no leading you 're by yourself completely mm-hmm. and i 'd heard about it I called up the I, I called the office up and I said uh, that I was vaguely interested in possibly coming out sometime and that maybe next week could possibly work but I'm sure they didn't have an opening and they said no we do and I said I also read your thing that said you have to come for at least three days and I could only come for one well that's okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> they overcame everything right <laughs> yeah.
2: and uh, I, I, I said okay sign me up I'm coming and a friend of mine I only told one person that I was going and he said, I think you should just bring your Bible. Well, I Mm -hmm. hadn't brought, I had a briefcase, all of my Christian stuff, all of my papers. And my gosh, I had all my stuff. I had, I had like two days, one night to get all my stuff done, but it was all faith stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting with a Shirley who ran the thing. And she says, you know, I don't normally say this to people, but I'm going to say it to you. When you go off into the woods, only bring your Bible,
1: (laughs) you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be
2: kidding me. You know? And so I did. Uh, and what I can say is when you say you're, you're, you're jealous or you, you, you you wish this is really hard. Mm -hmm. This is really, really hard. And the reason that it's hard is that you go off and it's it's called Patchaman Terrace. It's in Saint Francis, Minnesota. It's beautiful. It's spectacular. These little cabins are gorgeous. You have your own little cabin. It's got a screen porch, little single bed, Bunsen burner. I mean it's everything that you need. So I go in the door and I there's nothing to really put away. I just gotta change of clothes and mm-hmm. and she'd said to me, you know, a lot of people come here and they're very tired and they don't even know it. So mm-hmm. just take a nap. I haven't taken a nap in 50 years (laughs) and I didn't know what to do. Now I'm here and I didn't know what to do and it's really quiet. So I said, well, maybe I'll just lay down for a minute. I slept for two hours, got up and walked around. But the, but the spectacular thing is that you are exposed. That's the difficult part is that it's just you and God. And so all the rationalizations that I use every day, for all sorts of things. They just, you catch yourself and you're going, oh, sorry, I forgot. It's just you and me. <laughs> uh, and it was, uh, <clears throat> it was a wonderful experience. It took, uh, it, it took some time. Now I always go for a minimum of two nights so that you have a day where you know you're going to be
0: there.
1: Yeah.
2: If you guys are like me, if you're on vacation, whatever, the day that you're leaving, you kind of check out. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yes. And then as soon as you, you, might, you might as well just go. Right. Yeah. So having what they call this desert day is phenomenal. But being alone with God uh, is both uh, deeply satisfying. But for someone like me, it's also it's also terrifying. It's mm-hmm. scary. It's difficult to do. It's mm-hmm. easy to talk about. But to actually go through those gates, here I am, God, all of me. And I try to do that four times a year.
1: Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. So going forward, you have kept that as part of the practice of your life. Yes. And I'm imagining that you've encouraged other people to take advantage of that along the way. I have.
2: Oh, and everybody says, "Oh, that's a great idea." Then I'll talk to them. Well, I didn't do it. Well, I found out they give gift certificates, so I've handed those out. (laughs) That's been a little more effective. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's awesome. mm -hmm. But everyone has the same. has, Has everyone that's been has the same? It's it's a difficult thing. It's much more more difficult than it sounds.
0: Mm -hmm. So talk about that transformation process, because you go to Africa, you really meet Jesus for the first time. You're 40 years old. You've got a pretty significant path here in the Twin Cities, pretty influential business person. How did that all, how did your faith in Jesus morph all of your life to where you are today? Mm. What what was the first, what were some of the first things that God revealed to you about the where you were at, and what you were supposed to really be doing with the stewardship of what he had trusted you with, well, as you mentioned earlier when I, when I, when I turned when I
2: turned forty years old, I really had achieved all the goals that i 'd ever set I, far beyond any goals that i 'd set for myself I had I had everything I could have possibly imagined that i would want, but I had what I now refer refer to as a smoldering discontent. Mm. There was something it's a good word. It smoldering. Wasn't, it just wasn't very good. And I'm going. This. This. What's this all about? You know. This. I'm supposed to be. I'm living the life. You know. I've got. I've got success. I've got a healthy family. I've got everything. But. But somehow there is this. There is this constant low level angst uh, in my life. And I didn't know what it was uh I thought maybe it was like a midlife crisis um but I was actually too young to to necessarily have that, but what was missing was God and when I went to africa i it it helped me realize that although I'd had significant financial success uh and uh, I had a, a significant reputation. I had all the thing, all the things that, from a worldly standpoint, uh, I would aspired to. Uh, I didn't have any purpose. Well, I? I didn't have any relevance. I didn't. It. It. None of it really mattered. And and it was very clear to me that first trip in Africa that these people, among the most desperate people in the world, have no voice. Mm-hmm. So when a mother. Watches her child die of malaria for lack of a 50 cent medicine. Her anguish is the exact same as ours. But when she screams out, when she cries in anguish, nobody listens to her. And also, uh, bless their souls, missionaries aren't very good salespeople. (laughs) And so I'd heard about Africa. In church basements and slideshows, and frankly, it was boring sure. and also the statistics you know twenty five thousand people die a day of hunger. Well, what do you do with that? yeah what are you supposed to do with a number like that with a with a statistic? But for me, those statistics had now become real, mm. and I realized that my life calling was to be an advocate was to be a voice which I have uh, for people and my wife pointed out. All the skills that God gave me in terms of, uh, of being in marketing, uh, of being able to write, of uh, being able to communicate, were now being used uh, not for business but on behalf of these people that that I was now advocating for in Africa.
0: So God used all those skills that He'd been uh, moving in you, and He used all those skills to help out some people in Africa. Yeah.
2: The other, you know, the other thing that's interesting. Uh, Jim, is that I always knew in my heart that I would do good, that I would, you know, give back, that I'd pay it back, you know. But I always thought it'd be boring. I always thought that that part of my life, I had to get all my fun done with uh, and then go into my, like, giving mm. stage, boring stage, you know. Uh, and and that is the thing I like to communicate the most, is the one, once that I got a glimpse of... of the, the purpose or even the idea that God could somehow use me uh, for his purposes. It's been the ride of my life. It's been the most exciting thing I've ever been. Mm.
0: We're talking with Ward Brim about his book, Bigger Than Me, and living it out. You can get a copy of Ward's book, biggerthanmebook.com, biggerthanmebook.com. It, it's a great book. And if you have ever had those thoughts, wow, it just seems like everything about what God is doing in my life is bigger than me. You're right. That's why you should read this book. It's a great book, just a real great perspective changer. Martha, I figured maybe you'd have a couple of questions before I jump into the next line.
1: Well, I just think that um, I love when you shared that you, d- you didn't really expect to take away some of the things that you took when you went to Africa for yourself. And um, yet that is a story we have in different forms heard over and over again in the sense that in America we get so jaded by this world revolving around us and more is going to be where our contentment comes and I just want to maybe just reiterate that that the fact that you you stated you know you saw people with with next to nothing if not nothing and yet you saw firsthand the contentment and the peace they had and um, giving a voice I'm curious as to you know what what, what voice are you trying to give for them? Is it to help them get their um, their medical needs met, or um, what is it that you you said you've made a lot of trips back and forth to Africa? What are, what are those um, doing, or what are you? What's your connection with them? Well,
2: it's morphed actually. It it, it began with a with a notion that I've been to Africa. I came back. You know, I'm, I'm in the insurance investment business, mm-hmm. or was, and I didn't do anything. All I did was get in the way of all these workers at the time with World Vision. And so I wanted to give back. I said I I came back a new person and what have I done for these poor people that's still going on over there. So we came up with this notion of building wind pumps, uh which again in retrospect was a bad idea. We just we just imposed a solution American business style. We just mm-hmm. fixed it. We wanna just fix it. And it's that's, that's uh that's actually a that'll be maybe the subject matter of my next book on how not to do things Mm. in Africa. Uh, But it was interesting because uh, we were fervent. I brought a bunch of business people over there. We raised a lot of money. We did a lot of good. We did a lot of projects, worked wage, did all sorts of things. I ran into uh, Doug Cole, who's one of the, one of the people who the books dedicated to uh, one of my mentors in Washington, DC, who was, complimenting me on all this work that I was doing in in uh, in Africa and then said, if you were God, how would you help all those poor people in Africa? And my mind went completely blank. I mean, like quite sheet blank. I, I can't imagine the expression on my face. <laughs> and I just kind of stumbled. Out, I don't know. And he said, well, we got plenty of time. So why don't you just think about it? If you were God, how would you help all those poor, wretched people in Africa? And my mind stayed blank. And I finally got really frustrated, and I said, look, I don't know what I would do. I'm not God, but you seem to be. What would you do? Why don't you be God? You tell me what you do. And he said, I'd change the hearts of the leaders. Oh, yeah. And when he said that, the truth of that statement was so profound, it changed, it changed dramatically uh, my perspective. Coincidentally, and as I have said earlier, there is no such thing as a right. coincidence. Uh, I traveled to Africa with Senator Dave Dernberger, who's a, a mm. friend of mine. I asked him to come on one of these trips. A senator, this was back in 1995 or 6, a senator hadn't been on African soil for, for decades. Wow. So it was a big deal. Yeah. And as a result, we were able to meet with uh, heads of state and leaders in these countries, which I, which I developed a maintained relationship with. And it is so true. And you, we've seen it in Ghana. We've seen it in Rwanda that you get good leadership in these countries and you can, you can change an entire country, uh, in a few years, in a decade, it's not generations Mm -hmm. with, with a, with a, with, with, people of God in leadership positions, uh, Ellen Johnson, Sir leaf in Liberia. There are a lot of examples changes right away so there's so many resources there but
0: they're that nobody's teaching them how to get them out
2: right and uh so i've and i've done a lot of work in washington dc with our with our legislators and, mm-hmm. and senators who a lot of people don't realize that that there are probably 25 or 30 u.s senators that gather every wednesday morning in the capitol and pray together republicans democrats mm-hmm. uh uh uh, yeah, the, we
1: don't hear about that.
2: You don't hear, you know, you don't hear about that. And there's an equal percentage of House members that meet on Thursday morning.
1: Awesome. So Dave
2: and I kind of took that on the road and said, if this works for Republican and Democrats, maybe it can work for Hutus and Tutsis in Burundi and Rwanda and some of these uh, more difficult areas. And in fact, uh, it does. It re- it really does.
0: Fabulous. And uh, just let me give you a little word of encouragement. I was sitting last week. We interviewed a guy. His name is Ford Taylor from Transformational Leadership, and he just spent three days in Kenya. It's been in Africa many times, but Kenya being one of those countries in Africa. And he said the leaders in that he was meeting with brought together the leaders of or pastoral leaders in all of the states of Kenya or this they call them counties of Kenya or whatever. And and they said we want you to bring your transformational leadership training back to Kenya and here and he says why he goes, because we want to raise up non corrupt leaders and we need to start training them mm-hmm. and they said in 10 years we can do that so so God is moving all across Africa right. because Africa is that that lost continent that that it's incredible but in all of this as you're telling your story and I hope one day your kids and your grandkids get to hear this as a podcast you know way down the the, the years you got sick and your wife got sick. Mm. Talk about that battle, Chris's battle with cancer. Uh,
2: well, this was uh, now uh, nine years ago. She came back from a ski trip with her friends and had an inflammation in her abdomen. We went in, checked it out, turned out to be a, a tumor, <clears throat> went to Mayo Clinic. And over the course of three days of diagnostic tests, she was given uh, three weeks to a month to live and we were sent home with that with that uh, prognosis and I'd say the most significant thing out of that illness was uh, if someone would have asked me at that point in time whether I trusted Jesus Hmm. my answer would have been I think so Hmm. but I don't know because I've never had to I've never been in a situation that I, that I at least didn't have some, if not all, the control. Right. <laughs> <by> <laughs> Mr. In Charge. Mm-hmm. This one I had absolutely zero control over. And... uh Chris and my and our whole family's lives were just invaded by Jesus. And we experienced firsthand that peace that surpasses all understanding. It didn't mitigate the sadness. I didn't even know what it was. Pe- people often said I'd, I'd led a charmed life. I mean, the worst thing that had ever happened to me was losing my dad. Uh, I hadn't had any business failure. I wasn't addicted to anything. I really didn't have any problems. Mm. And now I had the biggest problem of my entire like with absolutely no recourse or solution to it uh, and we experienced this pe- it was going to be okay it the sadness was grief, but i didn 't even know what it was it was just this, it just it was it was it was sadness without a bottom and so we experienced that oh, that 's a good image sadness without a bottom. it just kept going, and I get to this really sad place, and then it even get sadder and uh, as a family, it was heartbreaking, but nevertheless, it was all going to be okay and there there was never any despair, there was never any anger uh, it was uh, it was absolutely amazing and uh and And for whatever reason, and this remains a mystery uh, we were granted a miracle. Uh, it was an inoperable tumor, it was nine pound tumor, and it was totally inoperable and uh, a surgeon that turned out to be a believer. Asked me if I was a pastor when he gave us this bad news, and I said, You know, what's that all about? So I saw a Bible sticking out of your backpack. I said, I'm not a pastor, I just try to follow Jesus. And he came back in and prayed with us, and then later talked another surgeon into giving it a shot. And uh, they removed all the cancer, uh, and she was pronounced cured, uh, totally cured, five years later.
1: Wow.
2: The takeaway f- from that is that people say to me, Boy, you guys, that religion thing really came in handy.
1: <laughs>
2: you know, you guys, I mean, you guys are so prayerful, you know, that, you know, I said, you know, the one thing I know for certain, one thing I know without any question is it does not work that way. Her sister was diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer uh, five years later and died within a few months. Mm-hmm. Some of my closest friends with faith that I, that I would never even try to compare my own with have lost spouses. So that remains a tremendous mystery that sure. we'll never know why, uh, but it was, a, it was a huge gift.
0: Mm. I want to focus the, the end of the show on the amazing influence you've been given over people because as you wrote the book, Bigger Than Me, and you want to, you're trying to communicate that to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids one day that this is all bigger than you. How has that impact when, when you realize that God gave granted you the gift of now uh, almost 10 years longer with Chris than you ever expected? How does that that concept of, wow, it's bigger than me, impact you each and every day as you're a man of influence here in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area? How does that impact what you do each and every day? Well, I think
2: I think part of it is getting old is we, um, we're we're I'm, I'm at a point where I'm running out of runway no matter what. And, you know, when you're young and, you know, I, I would say when I was 40 years old, 50 years old, actually, before I was diagnosed with a few things that I have, I was not ever going to die. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm going to die. But when? Well, never. I've got I've got 75 year old friends that are that are shocked. That all these people around him are getting sick and dying, and I'm saying, wait, you, "You're 80 years old." Mm-hmm. Uh, Wheelock Whitney, my mentor. Yeah. I'm having lunch with him one day, and he re, he says, "Word, I got some I got some bad news." I said, "What is it?" He goes, "I got a terminal disease." I said, "Wheelock," I grabbed his hand. I said, "My goodness, what what is it?" And he goes. I'm 85. (laughs) (laughs) So you tell me, Mm -hmm. how many Christmases do I have left? Mm -hmm. You know, five, that gets me to 90, 10, you know, he ended up dying at the age of 89. Wow. But, uh, I think the, the, the idea that life is unlimited, we waste, a lot of, of, we waste a lot of our lives thinking that there's always going to be a tomorrow. Uh, I will never take my wife for granted again. And I'll never take, you know, every, everything that we have is a gift, including our next breath. So uh, in my own case, it's a huge gift. It's a reminder that my days are limited. And if your days are limited, you spend them a little more carefully than you otherwise would. Mm-hmm. At least try to.
0: Hmm. He wrote this book, Bigger Than Me, and I'd love for you to get a copy of this book. Go out to his website, biggerthanmebook.com, biggerthanmebook.com.
1: You know, it's great when you look at the cover of this book, um, I, I had to study it for a minute because it's, it's it's a beautiful color blue. I love blue. And it's got this yellow image in the middle of it. And I had to look at it for a minute. It's like, so it's this kayak or canoe, whatever you want to call it, in the middle of obviously a very huge body of water all alone. And it really gives you that sense of something that is bigger. Hmm. We seem so little in a moment like that. But I'm curious um, about the subtitle when it says, just when I thought I had all the The answer is God change the questions. So what is that you're trying to communicate
2: at 40 years old? uh, If you wanted to know anything, all you had to do was ask me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I really I really. uh, And as I uh, the, the title of the first chapter is, can can God change a jerk? And I think, uh, that at 40 years old, I had become a jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had, i had done a lot of achievements. I was very proud of myself. I was very proud of those achievements. Uh, but there I've, I've developed what I call a jerk theory. Okay. And that is if you go through life, uh, without a singularly deeply humbling on your knees and tears experience, and that can take all sorts of different formats, um, uh, death, addiction, divorce uh if 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 you go through life without at least one of those, you become a jerk, and we all know him. and if and and especially as you get older, you get jerkier <laughs> it's just it 's not like you get over it uh and so my going to Africa was my was my humbling you know it 's that if God wants to get your attention, he throws a little pebble into your life, and if that doesn 't work he 'll he'll throw a rock Mm -hmm. and if that doesn't work, he'll heave a brick and Africa was my brick. Uh. So I came back thinking to myself, I had no idea of what was going on in Africa. What else don't I have any idea about? The only inkling I'd had up to that point was when my dad died. I mean, everybody's dad dies. So what's the big deal? I mean, if your dad dies young, you just get it over with earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, then, when my dad died, it was enormous. I mean, I never saw it coming. I was just, I was just blindsided. This is a big deal, mm-hmm. you know. And people who'd lost their dads going, "Yeah," you know. Uh, and so it really opened up my mind, which is still open to the fact that uh, there are a lot of things I don't know anything about. My perception, because I perceive something a certain way, doesn't make it true. Uh, but up to that point, if I if
0: I thought it was true, it was true. How are you taking that knowledge, the knowledge that, the 40 year old jerk knowledge, how are you taking that knowledge and feeding into the next generation, your three kids, their peers, because they're all approaching 40 at this point in time, I imagine, how are you feeding that into the next generation to make sure? They understand it that they don't have to go through the brick experience in order to realize that it's all about it's all bigger than them. It's not about them. Well, it,
2: it this was taught to me. I, I, always, my, one thing I did forty on is I really sought out mentors. I sought out people with wisdom, and I wanted to figure out, for example, what's it like to retire? What. I, my, some of my friends are retired, older friends, you know, 20 years older than me. What is that like? Is it good? Is it bad? Are there some good, some bad? Uh, and really learned uh, a lot. I was blessed with great ones. Uh, Wheelock Whitney was a mentor. Doug Cole in Washington. Arthur Rauner, who was my pastor uh, for most of my life. He confirmed me when I was 15 years old at the time he referred to me as a few years ago, he referred to me publicly as a ministerial long shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, was probably, I was probably the worst stu- confirmation student he'd ever had. Uh, and Monty sholand who was, uh, just a, a, a man of the Bible scripture. Uh, and so, uh, what I found is that there is a lot of wisdom out there if if you're willing to seek mm-hmm. it. One of the things I've been most absolutely, totally surprised about with this particular book is if someone asked me, who did I write it for? Who was the intended audience? Uh, two of the most enthusiastic uh, groups that have embraced this book, uh, I never would have thought of. Uh, one are women. Uh, and I, my, my theory on that's easy. It's because men don't read books.
1: <laughs> we
0: look at them. We that's pick them up. That's not true. Yeah, I know, but in so, general. But in general. right? You look yeah.
2: at it and maybe read a little bit. Read the beginning. Read the end. Women actually read them cover to cover. But the other are young people kids in their 20s, and it completely caught me off guard, and I couldn't figure out why that was. If, you, if, you, if I had to make a list of all the people with was intended, that would have been the bottom of the list. and never even occurred to me, and now I realize it's because... This idea of being mentored, mm-hmm. this idea of mentorship, they don't know about that. They haven't been taught that. And so a number of people, when young people, when they've read that, said this is really interesting because it prepares me for something that I don't know, that I know that's coming. But it hasn't come yet, like the death of my own parents. It right. really helps me uh, appreciate them more and kind of live vicariously through some of these experiences. So that brings me terrific joy.
1: For sure. You know, my
2: kids, I mean, they're are you know, your kids just simply do not compliment your parents, right? I mean, you got to keep them in their right place. <laughs> but uh, mine have been thrilled. Mine, mine have been thrilled about this book. And they've given it to their friends, which is the
0: ultimate compliment. Right. That's awesome. You had these mentors. So how have you encouraged your kids to get mentors? Are your kids business people as well?
2: Yes. Uh, all three of them are in, in business One's uh
0: Any of them in the insurance
2: and financial world like you no, played in? No, they, they, uh, they wanted to take a different route, which I was actually proud of them for making that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so my uh, oldest is a corporate uh, lawyer, uh, second son is in commercial real estate, and my daughter is in a... Brand new form of marketing that I can't really even understand. <laughs> 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 that I guess. you know, th- this digital stuff is yes. is really changing fast. Mm. Uh, and again, I I I really hope that the way that I live my life and the way that I use the resources that 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 Chris and I have been uh, given stewardship over uh, sets a really good example for them. I think you can talk till the days. You know, till till you're blue in the face. But I really think what they're looking at is what you're doing, Right. how you're First living Chair. your life.
0: So, what does that look like? What does that look like? The feet to the ground, Ward Brem today. I mean, what is that? Well, it looks like uh, like I said, I'm 67.
2: I I sold uh, my businesses now. Five one ten years ago, the other one five years ago. Uh, I've never been busier in my life. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm. A lot of people flunk retirement because they get bored. I flunk retirement because I'm so <laughs> stinking busy, um, and uh, I'm actually trying to work. I'm actually trying to work on that. Uh, uh, I've always been a, you know, type A, type, type person. I need more parchment, Terrace I need more silent time. Mm-hmm. I need to connect more quietly with with God. Uh, but I am. I'm leaving next month for Eastern Congo. Uh, again, as I said, trip number 57. We're doing a social experiment providing food, water, and medicine using a for-profit business model, uh, which we never thought would work. Which Talk is, about that. What's that look like? One of the problems with aid is that it doesn't work. Right. So we put trillions of dollars into Africa, and people are still poor. So mm-hmm. we started thinking about it, and I'm saying, well, how did we how we're all poor in America in the mid 1800s we were on li, 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 uh, little farms That's making true. less than a dollar a day, you know no lights, you know view cars, not many. Uh, it was through business, it was through enterprise and so we went to the one of the poorest places on the planet and provided not just clean water but perfect water. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, water we're spending five bucks a bottle on here. Uh, and medical care, our, our, our gauge was the water is going to be good enough for us to drink it. And the clinics are going to be good enough. If the clinic isn't good enough for me to take my daughter into, it's mm-hmm. not good enough. Mm-hmm. So ridiculously high standards. Uh, and that people were going to have to pay for it. Uh, nothing was free. It turns out 80% of the people were already paying for it, just inferior products. It still didn't work as a business. Uh, and there's actually a good friend of mine. Greg Page former chairman of Cargill who's become involved in this project with us who who said well what if you take away all the capital expenses off the business plan what if you just remove the capital expenses and remove the first 3 year operating expenses does it work and we said well probably but how can we do that and we ran the numbers and uh, it actually it it, it actually cash flow. Once we hit the scale of 10 zones, each zone serving between 10 and 15,000
0: people. And uh, next time, when we bring you back, we got to hear the rest of that story. <laughs> it's a good Alex one. It out. It's well, a well, good one. Because we, we got to, literally, the follow-up on this Congo trip, we've got to talk about that mm-hmm. because yeah. there are business people across the globe that are like, how can we make an impact with Absolutely. the God-given wisdom we've been given? That's an hour's worth. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll do that one in the future. I, you guys yeah. in touch with us on that. Ward Brem, thanks so much for sharing more of your story, more of your Bigger Than Me book. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's really been fun being with you guys. Make sure you check it out online, biggerthanmebook.com, biggerthanmebook.com. If you... Are struggling and you think it's all about you well here's the deal it's not and you need to realize it's bigger than you you've been listening to i work for him with your host jim and martha brangenberg we're christ followers our workplace it's our mission field but ultimately
1: i I work work for him. him
0: number four him.com